Hi, and welcome to Series 5, Episode 3 of Canny Conversations, powered by the Pathway Group. My name's Mark Wakeley, and I'm one of the team who bring you these podcasts each week. In this series, Saf will be talking to some of the business people he's met and worked with in his 23 years at the heart of the West Midlands business community. In today's episode, Saf begins a wide-ranging conversation with Graham Evans, CEO of the National Open College Network Group. In the first of this two-part conversation, Graham recounts how his farming childhood and early career as a civil engineer in the global construction industry provided invaluable lessons that are still as powerful and relevant today in his role as CEO of an academic organisation. It's clear that no experience has been wasted for Graham, but it has led him to question whether, in today's world, we've become too cautious. Do we protect our young people so much that they no longer know how to be resilient or how to take calculated risks? This conversation takes in his very career that saw him place training schools on the 2012 Olympic site in order to bring the long-term unemployed into work, to the preparation of the digital TV network for Y2K, and now his role guiding the NOCN group as it grows globally. So to better understand what those lessons were and how he applies his learning know-how and what you too could learn, let's join Saf and Graham. Hello and welcome to Canning Conversations Podcast Series 5. Today we're here at the offices of NOCN Group. NOCN is an organisation that's based in the UK but operates internationally. It's a charity and it's been a long-time supporter of the Multicultural Apprenticeship Alliance, the Multicultural Apprenticeship Awards. And it's my absolute pleasure to introduce you to Graham Hastings-Evans, the CEO of NOCN. Graham, thank you so much for the invitation to come come to your offices. We've been talking about meeting up for such a long time. You've been a supporter for for, for numerous years of the Multicultural Apprenticeship Alliance, the Multicultural Apprenticeship Awards. Uh, for myself, you know, I, I regard you as a mentor, as a leader that I look up to, admire and respect. And it's an honour for me to spend a bit of quality time with you and also at the same time record this podcast. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I've, I've been delighted to support your work uh, and I think you've provided some leadership that wasn't there in terms of uh, uh, getting out the message about apprenticeships and training out to that wider community that traditionally probably hasn't hasn't done it. They've gone for an academic route. Yes. They've not gone down that sort of yeah. practical, vocational type of route uh, where there are great opportunities for people. So you know, th- I, I, I thank you for taking that leadership to get that going and that's why i would for me when uh, isa bumped into me in, in the nec and said um, oh we're thinking of doing this i was just immediately for it absolutely absolutely and you've been a big ambassador big supporter um uh, for the cause for the initiative yeah. and also in terms of ourselves you know you've you've always sort of uh, supported us guided us and, and sort of counseled and uh, advised through, throughout the years and i and i salute you and i thank yeah. you for, for that and much much appreciate that delighted in, in terms of today uh, and, and I, we were talking earlier on and i said you know what we need to showcase the the game that i know and love and uh, the, the the personality behind the brand that it is, Graham Hastings Evans, and and also the brand that you've been running in terms of NOCN. Uh, I know you've been a managing director, 
uh, CEO now for nearly 13 years for yeah. in terms yeah, of the organization. Yeah. But you've got a, a sort of dearth of experience within the construction sector, within public service, uh, London Olympics uh, yeah. that you, you've been running, uh, plus also the international experience you've got. So I want to yeah. talk a little bit about the journey to now uh, the, yeah. the Chief Executive Officer of NOCN Group. Well, I suppose it started when I was young. I, I grew up in Wales, in South Wales. Uh, people tell me I've lost my Welsh accent, and I have, but my wife, she hasn't lost her Welsh accent. I've lived in England and abroad for so long, my, and my accent's sort of changed. Quite neutral. Uh, quite neutral, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. When I get excited, sometimes it comes out, but, yeah. but it's, that's right. So I, I started life in, in South Wales. Wales is a, a culture of equality. Mm. Um, I lived in Cardiff, a very mm. multicultural uh, city, so used to people of different Races, different okay. colours, different religions, all of those sorts of things. So I grew up in that in that environment of believing everybody was equal. Yeah, so that's how I suppose that that formed me or helped formed me. My parents ran a farm. By the time I was uh, thirteen, I could drive tractors. Uh, very practical, like practical things being outside. Uh, much of my family were either in the services, uh, mm. the army or the navy, or um, in construction, uh, civil engineering and building. Uh, so that formed me, and eventually uh, I thought, yeah, I, I want to go into construction. And uh, I picked civil engineering part of construction. And I, I started, uh, you know, obviously, formal training courses, become a trainee engineer. And at 19, I had this real great opportunity to go and work in Denmark um, for six to nine months, uh, which I took. And it started me off on my international travels. Perhaps a lot of my family had, had worked abroad. Those that had been in the services or the Navy were used to traveling. So traveling and different cultures and different people were, for me, the norm, not something that took me off down that route. And I've worked in quite a lot of different countries over the years. Yeah. So people at the age, I mean, Graham, you know, travel maybe to the local university or, yeah. or uh, another another town, yeah. but you you did your sort of uh, university of life and, and, yes, and tra tra training internationally, really, yeah, you know, in Denmark. And then you mentioned Libya and, and yes, as um, well. So age, so age of 23. <laughs> age of 23 in Libya. And I was the deputy on a contract with 2,000 workers spread across the six of the city of Benghazi. Wow. Um, again, multitude of different people, Greeks. I learned, I learned some Greek, uh, Turks, Arabs, obviously, um, Muslims, Christians, Irish, uh, you know, a, a real sort of mixture of different nationalities. A lot of Libyans, uh, uh, sorry, not Libyans, Egyptians. Egyptian, yeah. uh, Egyptian labourers. And I, I, then ex, ex, I suppose expanded out my my experience of life, yes, and other cultures. I was there for about two and a half years, had a great time. Moved to Europe from there. I didn't come back to the Britain. I went mm. and lived in Malta and travelled okay. and worked in Europe and in Tunisia. Then eventually came back, spent a period of time in Thailand, wow. um, and that was my first major introduction into training and education because right. I was in Thailand to help uh, train. Uh, people that were running waterworks and water systems and distribution systems for the Provincial Waterworks Authority of Thailand. Um, so I travelled all over Thailand uh, doing that, uh, doing the training and development. Uh, that got me into out of you know, building things as an as an engineer and actually into the operation and the management of the workforce. Uh, and it, I just developed on from there. I've worked in India, I've worked in South Africa. Uh, uh, I've been spent some time in uh, Finland. 
quite a few different countries yeah. over, over the years. Yeah. It's just too many, too many to add to your LinkedIn profile and Yeah, it is a bit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It makes it complicated. I think you start adding all of those experiences yeah. on there. So uh, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. In terms of that transition, then from operationally, you know, hands-on uh, engineer in the construction field to sort of training people, and how did that come about? I think that that started. Before I went to Thailand, yeah. um, one of the jobs that I had was I was responsible for a workforce of 1,500 uh, covering the area of the city of Bristol, uh, responsible for uh, maintaining and keeping going 36,000 council houses, all the roads wow. of the city, street lights, uh, water courses, parks, sewers, the whole lot. Really? Massive okay. workforce. And I started to then get involved with our apprenticeship scheme and upskilling the workforce. And one of the difficulties I found going there is that people didn't have, all of the people didn't have the skills. Um, So that got me into, uh, although I was a director uh, responsible for that part of of the city council's operations, I was sort of like a mini little chief executive of that bit. And it grew me to understand if you're going to be the chief executive of an organization, you're going to run, 1,500 people, and they're scattered. They're working in little groups all over the place. You learn to manage in a different way. It's not like sat in an office as we hear now, and I can have a look and see if people are working. You've got them scattered all over the place. Somebody might go into four different council houses to do repairs in a day. Uh, So you have to adopt a different way of managing that type of workforce, Uh, and it becomes your ability to manage people becomes far more important and your ability to develop those people and make sure they've got the right skills becomes more important. And I, I sort of grew in that experience and it, it fundamentally changed me. And I had one incident that I suppose really changed it for me. In my, in my own mind, for me, it was my, uh, you know, on the road to Damascus moment, I was served up a group of four people to be sacked. Yes, okay. they were useless. <laughs> that was the story. Yeah. They were hopeless. Yeah. And uh, so I had the supervisor saying, these, got, these, these four people have got to be sacked, they're useless. Yeah. Um, I had the trade union representative uh, saying, these four these people, people are useless, oh, please sack even, them. Even they were yeah, saying the union to sack them. So I asked these four people, and there was a team leader, two operatives, and an apprentice. So I said, you know, why is it that you are so poor? Why is your production so bad every week? Why are you not performing? Why are you not performing? Why are you not performing? Nobody really said anything. They stood there and shuffled. And then this apprentice came out and he said, Governor, because they used to call you that in those days, Governor or Sir. That's long gone, but in those days they did that. Uh, uh, Governor, I'm the only one that can read and write. And even the team leader, the supervisor, couldn't read and write. And I said, have you ever been trained? Uh, well, has anybody helped you with English and maths uh, and training? And, and then they came out. They'd never been properly trained to do the job. So I said, okay, I'm going to give you six months. An, it must have been an eye-opener. It was an absolute eye-opener. Oh, 25% of my workforce couldn't read or write. Uh, yeah? They could still work there. They could lay tarmac and dig holes and do that. They, they were capable of doing things, although they couldn't read or write. So, they, you know, they, they wouldn't be they able to do an apprenticeship but, nowadays. Yeah, 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 that's right. But yeah. they could actually work. And, that, and that's, I suppose, what it questions in my mind, do we actually need quite the emphasis on, on English and maths that we've got? I think people moment, do yeah. need to be numerate. Yeah. They do need to have uh, basic skills. So I'm not yeah. saying we want people illiterate at all, but, uh, you know, getting it with the right level is okay. But anyway, so, right, okay, I'll send you to 
Bristol College to learn English <laughs> and maths in the night. You're going to go. Uh, this is the deal. Yes, yeah, this, I won't sack you. Yeah, you go do English I'll, and maths I'll the night school. College, yeah. And there's a train. Uh, there was a, a training college uh, uh, near Bristol. Uh, I said, I'm going to send you there for four weeks to be trained properly to do the work. Within six months, they were uh, my, one of my best performing teams. You believed in them. I believe, and I gave them the opportunity. Gave, gave them the opportunity as well. Yeah, and they, they didn't let me down. They didn't let themselves down. And that experience changed my life. Wow. Um, and from then on, because I, I, it taught me the importance of being fair and honest with people and actually uh, giving them opportunities, but dealing with the issue. Don't just say, I'll give you six months, see if you're better. It was, well, what's really wrong? What can we do that can change the situation? And uh, no, it came good. And, and that really got me into training. After that, I got, uh, I think everything I did, I always got involved on the training side or the apprenticeship side. I come from an industry that's used to apprenticeships. Not everybody goes through apprenticeships no. in construction. That's never been the case. But there's quite a lot of people go through apprenticeships within construction. So I was brought up with that, yes. Um, and therefore, it's become a natural Second thing for me to do. It is, yeah. it is your thinking, isn't it? Apprenticeship. And, yeah. you know, you talk about technical qualifications every time I've met you and every time you've spoken on stage. And, you know, you, you, do, you do a lot of giving back to the sector when you come and speak at uh, yeah. you know, events and so forth. You're always talking about technical vocational qualifications. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, I then had no, numerous other jobs, as I said. I mentioned, yeah. I went to Thailand. I got involved training. I went to South Africa. That was training again. Um, so uh, it led me in a certain direction and I ended up on the London Olympics. I went to the London Olympics to try to help out or work out. I was on the, I think I was the one of the, the 60th person to join the London okay, Olympics. So early, 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 early days. I, I was really yeah, right in yeah. at the beginning and I was there to help work out how can we actually break the park down into logical bits to build it and procure it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, a particular thing that I was given was because we had promised to do something about employment and skills, yeah. getting unemployed people skilled up. There were promises to the uh, to the International yeah. Olympic Committee, and the government obviously wanted to the government of the day wanted to make that that happen. So I worked very closely with Tessa Jowell. Yeah. Uh, sadly, I mean a, a wonderful relationship yeah. with her. Wonderful, she was a wonderful person. Yeah, to yeah. to work with, uh, and I'm very sad that she died so so young. EU procurement says you can't do this, but we've made a promise to the IOC that we can. We can yeah. How do we do that? So I found a way, arguing at times with the Office of Government Commerce, as it yeah. was then called, in okay. the Treasury. Okay. And we found a way to, to build it into, into the procurement. So once we got that, that out of the way, then the Olympics, the, the people said, well, You've done a lot. You understand apprenticeships. You understand training. You've got that background as well as the technical background you know, of knowing how to build things. We need somebody to head up and get this program working so we can work with the five London boroughs and others. We can work with Job Centre Plus and, and everybody else, loads of people, Princess Trust, loads of organisations. How do we get that all together into a program that can get people trained up into work and, and hopefully sustainable jobs because they've got sustainable skills. I set up that program, right. working closely with a number of uh, organizations, including CITB, which was very, very helpful. And we got it all going. We built training schools on the Olympic Park. Yeah, we got people out of unemployment, 
sometimes three years, uh, three generations of that family had never worked. Hadn't worked at all. Yeah, and, yeah. and one of the big things was you take somebody and they weren't used to going anywhere five days a week. Yes, they, uh, they're, just, they're just not used to it. That's not they're just not used to it. They just not used thinking, to it. Yeah. And it's, uh, well, why didn't you come yesterday? Well, my, my sister wanted to go shopping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> You've got to come here to be trained five days a week. Yeah. Um, and so what we did was build a network of, uh, we called them employment managers, but they were basically mentors for individual people to make sure they didn't drop out because the, the, our first short experience in the first few months was massive dropout. You know, 50% would drop out. So, no, no, we've got to do something about that. And, and we did two things. One was to, to give people tasters. So come in for a couple of days and see if it really is your thing. Yeah. It's your thing, yeah? Because we had had an experience uh, of trained some people to be security guards. Yeah. And uh, they got to the end. And then they wouldn't take a job because they had to wear a hat. And that, that was mind-blowing to be, to be told that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. think, well, all the pictures you've ever seen of a security guard, they're yeah. actually always wearing hats. Yeah. Um, so we said, no, 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 we've got to make sure that they're comfortable. So we yeah. gave them tasters to be comfortable with. Yeah. And there was always this person to help them when they were struggling, I don't understand what do I do. And they were people... They were like buddy-up stuff. They were yeah, buddies, but they were experienced yeah. trainers, trainers in their own well, right yeah. in, from construction, electricians yeah. or whatever. Into, so they, they could help them, so, uh, yeah. uh, but they were there as much for, well, for the mentoring and make sure they get there. Why couldn't you get there? What do we do about your bus fares? All of those sorts all of... The all, little, that all the little problems that, you know... All, all that support stuff. Yeah. And we, we got large numbers into work because the, the other thing that I and my team would then do was working with all the subcontractors down underneath the tier ones. So you've got your major contractors, yes? They don't, well, they, they employ the engineers and the architects and the quantity surveyors and the rest. They've got the supply chain. It's the supply chain. We were working with the supply chain uh, and making sure people got jobs. In fact, we, we worked with the supply chain to start with. So we were saying, okay, bearing in mind where we are in the construction cycle, what are you going to need in a month or so's time? And they would say, I need 10 of these, four of these, six of the, and right, we'll train them. Wow. We'll train people for that. Um, so we were training for jobs. Yeah. Um, but it, it you know, was a quite a, uh, building that program was quite, I think, was relatively new. Some people had had a go at it at T5. Some of my team mm-hmm. had, had done early work at T5 to do that. Mm-hmm. The Olympics was the first time it had been done in that very coherent way. And that idea grew. It was one of the legacies, which I'm quite proud of, really, yeah. that we developed that on the Olympics. So Hinkley Point, HS2, yeah. Thames Tideway, all the major projects yeah. have taken the ideas right. that we developed, that legacy of the Olympics. They've improved on them, mm. changed them and adapted them. I'm quite proud of that, yes, that we yeah. did we did that on the London Olympics. Yeah. One of the sort of never really spoke about legacies of the London Olympics, absolutely. but an important one. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And again, for, for our country, I mean, it was our reputation on the line as well to get yeah, all that right. And, yeah. and I think, you know, you had the jostle between the London mayor and the yeah, national yeah. government and everybody else as well. Trying it, it, to, it got me into policy and politics in a way that I hadn't yeah. ever really all experienced. Those stakeholders yeah. involved yeah. and, you know, all those personalities yeah. that you had to manage as well as do the job and project manage all of that. Yeah, um, it's, you know, speak, you know, in contact with the the mayors and the leaders of the local authorities, Tessa Jowell, other ministers. Uh, I remember my first experience of a select committee getting torn to pieces. Um, I should do it a select committee. Uh, but I got to understand the way Whitehall works in that context. 
um, and a way to you know feel comfortable at, at, at working with you know cabinet ministers. Uh, mm-hmm. I met Gordon Brown in that time, uh, and they're human beings like like you and I am, and everybody else is. And uh, that was another growing experience for me to to do that. And it gave me, I suppose, another thirst in the sense of I enjoy being involved in trying to influence policy mm. yeah, uh, to achieve the right ends. So I, I, a lot came out of the Olympics for me. Uh, I moved then to the UK Commission for Employment and Skills. Uh, UK, which, yes. Yeah, I got involved in more sectors uh, outside of predominantly construction. Um, and from there, I came to NOCN. Yeah, there was a stint in the, uh, the BBC as well. Uh, I, uh, you yes, did a bit of a stint I, in the BBC. I did. Are you trying I did. to take I, that out of your... I, no, no, no. I, <laughs> wipe that off. No, no, not at all. It was a great time in the BBC. Yeah. Um, so, management consultant? Or you, I, you? I was a management consultant in the BBC, and I, I managed the rollout of digital television. Digital television, okay. Yeah. Uh, this is when they were switching of, off the... London. Uh, uh, well, no, but when we brought out, when we moved from analog television analog, yeah. to digital television, yeah. there was, that was a massive project. So mm-hmm. I was project managed that for um, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and, right. and the English regions okay. outside of Television Centre. Obviously, I, I worked very closely with people in Television Centre. That was quite an exciting thing. Taught me a lot about data and okay. uh, data systems and I got involved with the development of the EPG you know when you switch on your TV yeah. and you've got you've got the on screen yeah. um, menu of what programs they are and all the rest of oh, it yes, yeah. I was involved in the BBC's the, bit the, of getting getting that to work what, what the channel is and yeah the what the channel yeah. is what the program is what uh, the, the information timing, about yeah. the program who's in it and all of that and that was a complicated arrangement of linking data between 26 different systems. Wow, wouldn't it? Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah. I, I learned a lot of things on that. And as part of the rollout of digital television, I was there when Y2K happened. Okay. So I was given the task of project managing all the testing for Y2K. So I can remember this one Sunday night yeah. uh, in Belfast in, in the BBC2 suite yeah. um, test kidding the suite yeah. that and this was beginning of november kidding the suite that was see, actually 31st of december and it was rolling over and all the system we had all the systems we tested it there yeah the reason why bbc2 on a sunday night is virtually nobody in the sunday night yeah. if it all went pear shaped nobody would know well yeah. probably nobody now yeah. uh, and it worked and so we opened a bottle of Irish whiskey yeah. and had a celebration and uh, it's good. So I've, yeah, I've done some strange things over yeah. the time. Yeah. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic. So Millennium Bug, eh? the, that, the Millennium Bug. The, the millennium yeah, bug, the Millennium yeah. Bug. That's, uh, that was a blast from the past. Yeah. I think we, yeah, were, well, we were all concerned at the time in terms of, you know what, what's going to happen and so forth. It's like a impending disaster. That's right. I remember the panic <laughs> over it all and, uh, and then, when you sat, it was a bit of an anticlimax. We were yeah, all in the end, well, it was like, okay, yeah, yeah. But that's a positive thing in the in, the, in one end. The fact that you know what, well, yeah. they did get sorted. Yeah. So, um, in terms of UKCES, you know, obviously you're talking about policy, you're talking yeah. about advocacy, you're talking yeah. about stakeholders, you're trying to yeah. you know, you're trying to think about you know the country in the future, and a lot yes. of this is about future gazing and yeah, what does the country need, and yeah. and trying to join everything together. You know, th- those are the sort of skill sets that potentially government really needs to, uh, you know, pull on really to try and understand what that is. And because there's sometimes a lot of it's short term and it maybe is. disjointed and it, so it's forth. It's quite so, frustrating in that so, sense. So, you know, you, you've got that strategic mind to sort of try to connect everything together. I have. Uh, I suppose I, I tie that back to my civil engineering. Okay. Um, 
when you're building a dam that's going to last for 150 <laughs> years, you've got to think you're, forward you're thinking, 150 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I was a lot of what I did was looking at assets, yes, that were going to have long life, life cycles, looking at the economics of them and all of that economic analysis. Uh, forecasting demand, all of those things, they became inherent in even as a young engineer in training. And I did spend a period in uh, Northwest Water United Utilities uh, responsible for the capital program okay. um, and for corporate strategy. And that really was my, a great experience in terms of learning to do just that. Okay. Yes. Away from political influence, because you're running a water, massive water, water, water organization water, for all of the Northwest. Um, we were responsible for water supply, sewerage, rivers, beach pollution. I got involved in trying to clean up the beach at Blackpool. I actually did the estimates for Michael Heseltine for okay. cleaning up the River Mersey. So I got involved in these massive long-term projects that made you look as a helicopter across things. So I, I, I learned that skill. Yeah. Not, in not my many experience, people, not, not many, many people have got, got that the heli skill. helicopter perspective. No, no. Yeah, they look at it as, it's like not even five moves ahead. You know, it's, it's like the chess player that, you know, has got the whole game sort of planned out a little bit in terms of yeah. next moves and the move yeah, after and so forth. Yeah. And, and it's, it's something, you know, I learned. I, I obviously naturally have, you have got that, that ability, that ability it, yeah. but I had the experiences in, in life that allowed me to develop that. Uh, it is a good skill. We've set up, NFCN set up in India. We're doing well in India. Yeah. Yet, if I listen to the government at the yeah. time when yeah. we did that and other rewarding bodies and colleges, don't go into India. It's terrible. You mustn't do that. It's High you risk, can't make yeah, money. Culture. Culture, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. All of those sorts of things. And I, I just thought, yeah, I understand that. That's now. But India in 20 years' time is going to be very different. And I think I'm, I'm, I've been proven right yeah. uh, uh, because India India is growing in its importance in the globe. Yeah. Uh, and I always thought that we would take NOCN abroad yeah. and India was going to be one yeah. of the key places. Yeah. Um, there's, there's historical roots, some of which are good and some of which are bad. My grandfather was in the army. He was in India <laughs> yeah, in 1900s. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, I just could see that India was going to be an important part of the world's future, yeah. uh, and therefore we should try to get into it. And, yeah. uh, and I'm, I'm glad we we stuck with it. We persevered through COVID and Absolutely. all the challenges Absolutely. that, that everybody's had, and we you know, we're doing well. And I think we can do good good things in India. Great news. This this will tell yeah. when it when it's happened. Yeah. Obviously, yesterday they landed on the moon, yeah. and I thought that was an absolutely fantastic achievement. Fantastic, but, yeah. but knowing that country and knowing their technical skills, I wasn't surprised. There's yeah. a lot of very talented people. A lot, a lot people. of determination as well. A lot yeah. of trying to prove to the world the fact that they can. Yeah. And as the well, great as thing well as the skills, is, yeah. is they can do it for three and thrippence. Yeah, whereas everybody this else is spends thing, billions. This, this is the thing, isn't it? You know what? Fantastic. If you can do it in a way which is lean, agile, yeah. And delivers, you know what? Yeah. That's the ultimate. Yeah. Graham, yeah. was there a personal risk for you when you sort of put your name behind the fact that we want to expand to India, South Asia? We want to, you know, we want to expand. Yes, there, yeah, yeah, of course there is. Know. Yeah, of course there because is. Because obviously, yeah. you know, you know, you're putting your name to it, and you're saying, you know, what? I believe yeah. in this. This is what yeah. I'm doing. People are saying, well, the, the risks are there. Have you thought? Have you really thought yeah. it through? And and so forth. And you know, that determination, the sort of element of, you know, what. That vision, really, the fact yeah. that th there may be some some troubles ahead, but for the long run, 
this is what I need to do yeah. for the organisation. Yeah, of course it is. And, I, and I've had people on the board, different people at times, questioning whether you. we should do that. Absolutely. And we've, You've had that we've challenge. gone back through it. You've got that challenge. I've got an excellent board. I mean, yeah, I'm fantastic. Supportive. and ch- yes. the right, right challenging and supportive. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Challenging in a, in a constructive and positive yeah. way. Yeah. But supportive then, you know, uh, my chair and vice chair there, my mentors uh, for our, our management team, everyone in the management team has a trustee charitable to, uh, uh, to buddy up with, to buddy up with yeah. um, so it's a very very supportive board but very experienced mm. yeah uh, you know you couldn't pull the wall out <laughs> over their eyes and they've got things to contribute but they've you know they have value to you they really have yeah. value yeah. there are people that are working on apprenticeships working on on skills development in the national health service in construction in engineering in facilities, in finance and banking, uh, some pe- uh, one of one of our member uh, charities, the chief exec of Learn and Works Institute, yeah. Scott, he was in the yeah. treasury, got a yeah. long policy. So we've got a great collection of trustees and that really doing, add value. They're doing it for the right reasons as well. They're doing it for the right reasons, yeah. but they've got experience that I haven't got. Therefore, I can learn from their yeah. experience. You can lean on I've that, got, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it, it's great. Actually, it's 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 a fantastic way of. Uh, moving forward but Fantastic. yes you've got to challenge and sometimes you've got to challenge yourself as well you, i suppose again another thing that i learned from civil engineering because you're building things and it's taking years to build them and they're yeah. long-term stuff you are taught to be resilient and to deal with problems quickly i, I was told that you might have first day working the most important thing is that you make a decision on the spot seven of those decisions it won't matter what you decide <laughs> to do or not yeah yeah, yeah. Because there's more than one way of skinning a cat. Yeah. So don't worry, just make a decision. Yeah. But not making a decision costs us money and stops things. You must not prevaricate. You must make a decision. Okay. Of the other three, yes, one of them will be a brilliant decision. Two of them won't be won't so good. Be, yeah. And one could be so bad we'll sack you on Friday. Let's <laughs> get on with it. <laughs> but it's, it's, then, it's, then it's your ability to react and adapt and, and all the rest of it. Yeah. But, and but I, I, I think I brought that up. Yeah. And that, the construction environment puts you into that environment. And you've either got the resilience to deal with that or you haven't. And uh, you soon find out whether you have or you haven't. And as the years go by, you get more confidence in your ability to manage risks. Uh, you've got to I, get, you've got a sense, you've got a gut feel to six some, sense. Yeah, six sense. Six yeah. sense. I, yeah. I, yeah, you've got a six yeah. sense. I had an incident at Halifax. We were testing a big pressure main, a water main. So it's not buried in the ground, okay. it's in its trench. Okay. And it was over a length of probably about a mile. Uh, and what you do to, to test a water, this is a large water main, I'm talking yeah. about, you know, this, this great big thing of gas iron, great big heavy thing, is you pump up the pressure in it. And if it doesn't go bang, you're all right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now. Yeah. yeah. So we were standing, I was there with somebody from Yorkshire Water and yeah. the site supervisor and myself. Yeah. And they were pumping this thing up. And I suddenly had the sixth sense that the concrete block that was holding it was about to fail. Wow. I don't know how I knew that. Just kind of feeling. I just, and I said, right, we're going back. What do you mean? Just get back now. I made us all run back. So just, we just got to get, get out and of as there. And as we got back to a safe place, the thing blew up. And ten, 10 ton of cast iron wow. landed exactly where we had been standing. Wow. So wow. it's, uh, I, I have yeah, a couple of, couple of life experiences, but, oh, you, but can't you, need, you can't forget that. You can't forget that. No, you? but, but just, I uh, think you, 
you develop those sorts of innate skills. Uh, but difficult. You can't teach them in that, can you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't, it's hard to even to explain it, really. Little, it is. Little, little, yeah, little it is. Yeah, it's a funny story, but... Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Memorable. Memorable. It, yeah, yeah, it, it is. Memorable. But you, you, you do get that ability to be resilient, the, the ability to manage risks. I think one of the things I worry about now in terms of where our cultures are Bearing in mind at 13, I'm, a, I'm 13, I'm driving a, a tractor all on my own. Yes, with all the implements. Yeah, and that was all right then. Yeah. Yes, I know it's illegal now, but yeah. then it was, wasn't illegal. Is uh, uh, that we become too risk averse and we don't teach our young people enough about the management of risks yeah. and the resilience. Yeah, you, yeah. We're just too risk-averse yeah. uh, in, in all forms of life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the risk assessment isn't done really in terms of you know, just understanding the implications of it and the, the, the likelihood and the probability. And there's this almost belief that you can... Eradicate, eradicate, risk, yeah, but you can't minimize it, minimize it, but you can't, it is, you can't yeah. completely mitigate it, it and working yeah. through it. Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Graham, you touched on the structure of NOCN in terms of you've got a board yeah. and obviously you know you're CEO of the organization, but the organization is a charitable organization, it and is. which surprises some people. I mean, not everybody, but you know, there surprises some people the fact that a charity is in the field of uh, the education sector is an awarding organization. And, and talk to us, you know, is that defined? what you do and what you can't do and you know does it you know what are the benefits and maybe some constraints if, if there are any you are constrained by your objectives uh, as a charity and yeah. those objectives do need to be agreed with the charitable commission and yeah. uh, i think that's fine yeah. uh, ours are fairly broadly uh, written if ever we want to do something you've always got to cross check that it fits with your charitable objectives and, and so, uh, so as an example if i just come in you know the international expansion was that something you had to look at to say is this we, something we, we, we did change our charitable objectives for that. back in 2013 okay to ensure that we could work abroad okay. for example or yeah. we could work outside of being an awarding organization because the nocn although uh, you would say we are an awarding organization, and that's probably about 60% of, oh, of what our, of our activity. Six or seven years ago, it was 95% of our activity. We have a strategy of diversity, but we are a charity, and we will help people get the qualifications, accreditation skills in order to get into employment or develop themselves when they are employed. And that we can do things, therefore, outside of just being an awarding organisation. Yeah. We are looking after people and giving them that support. Uh, and, and we decided that in 2013, but for a long time we were just an awarding body. But we changed our objectives. We, we had a fairly fundamental change in 2013. That's when we decided to go start to go abroad and to go into other things so 10 years ago was a pivotal decision point in terms of the charity okay. of it changing its direction we're still an awarding body and we intend to remain an awarding body yeah but not purely an awarding body but we change the objectives so it's to a, fit like that. a conglomerate of education yeah. skills and making a difference um making a difference yeah, making a difference that, that's yeah. what my board is all about and quite right the charity is is are we making a difference yeah are we, are we helping people it? Yeah. It's a purpose, impact, and, and it so is. forth. Yeah. And we're doing that in a way which people can have trust in. One of our values is trust. Um, it's important that if we give somebody a certificate or a plastic card, I think I showed you, <laughs> you the showed plastic me, card. You showed me the plastic card. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we're, doing yeah. A, we're doing a plastic card in India and, and the Gulf. But if you've got that, yes. that piece, whatever it is, it's a plastic card, a piece of paper, a 
exam a, result or whatever it is. Yes, yeah. But the person you're giving that to can feel confident that they can do whatever it says on the tin. They can be a banker, they can be a construction worker or a health worker, and their employer can have that trust. Or the higher education institute that they're applying to go and do a degree with or, or whatever they're going. Everybody can trust in that. And we want people to trust in what we're saying. What we're saying. That, yeah, and that's important to us. And we want to help as many people as we can. Okay. Uh, so that's what we always tie back to. How does this fit? Is it achieving that? And in that sense, influencing government policy to us is part of that. that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, because, it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, so and we're structured. We've got a number. Of, we've got an Indian subsidiary. Uh, we've got an office now in Bahrain. Uh, we've got a partner. Uh, it's a partner office. We've got a partner office in in, in Greece, in Athens. Uh, so we work through our own organisation, but we work in partnership with others which not everybody's comfortable with, but we are. We're happy to have partnerships. We've got partner organization in Ireland. Um, so we're happy to yeah. work in that way. Yeah, yeah, We don't have to do everything. Yeah. Uh, it's tapping into other people's uh, sort of skills and, and expertise yeah. and, 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 contrib and, and contribute. And infrastructure yeah. to a certain level yes. as well. Yeah. Uh, in, in a way that we yeah, work with yeah, you. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yes. You're doing a great job. Yeah, You're doing something we believe in. So we shouldn't set up to try and do that. We yeah. should support you. Yeah, and and that's our attitude. We don't have to do everything. Leverage the relationships, and, yeah, the relationships others. and yeah. Yeah. their skill sets and so yeah. forth. Yeah, Graham. In terms of that transition, you know, if you're looking at diversifying, and a lot of people, you know, when they look at their organisations and they're looking at it, you know, CEOs and leaders, and they talk about over relying on one sort of income stream, and you're thinking to yourself, back in sort of 2010, 12, you know, when you're in in, in the role and thinking, okay, you know, we're a traditional organisation. Awarding organizations, there's a limitation to a certain level in terms of growth. Yeah. There's a lot more new organizations coming in, a yeah. lot of uh, a lot of small awarding bodies sort of looking at niche areas. You know, we're in that space where, you know, you've got some of the other larger charities and some of the other larger PLC organizations out there, but it's been caramelized a little bit by new providers coming yeah. in, yeah, coming yeah. in with yeah, technology and so yeah. forth. Where's the growth for us and, and how do we do that yeah. and so forth? And, and and then you have a plan, but then it's the implementation of it, which is, it is. you know, the plan is the plan, but it's the implementation. How yeah. easy was that? And what was the sort of obstacles that you found? We had a plan to grow. We had a plan to diversify. And my first three years, when I came here, there was only 26 people, yeah. plus some subcontractors, so probably maybe less than 40, all told. Yeah. Now we've got 200 staff and about 300 EQAs. It's massive so growth. Uh, and we've had up areas where it's leveled and it's happened in lumps at, at, at times. I think what well, we've always had a plan and we've always had a sense of where we're going. But we've also recognized that when we hit a certain difficulty, you immediately weigh up the options of that situation and pick an option to drive forward, which yeah. still keeps you on ultimately on track. You don't get diverted. Yes. And, and having that ability to just keep realizing i've still got to go there i can't go that way i've got to go that way and that way but it's still going to take me there and to keep managing the plan and managing the difficulties again something that if you work on a construction site happens every day Absolutely. you hit problems Absolutely. yeah so uh, i i know i keep coming back to it but i've I think my experience in construction gave me some phenomenal skills yeah, around planning and replanning, uh, 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 as well as managing risk. And I've, I've used those uh, to help me grow NOCN. 
And we've had, you know, hard times. COVID was, COVID was a tough one for all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think when it happened and we saw the Secretaries of State's letter was basically, well, we're cutting you off. We're not funding you. That's it. You know, we're funding the colleges, but not the private training yeah. providers and the awarding bodies. Yeah. And uh, you thought, well, oh, thank you very much. Um, yeah, absolutely. That was very helpful. And, you know, pe people didn't want to pay. People had no money. It was tough. It was really tough. All of us took a pay cut. Senior management team took a bigger pay cut than the staff and for longer because I believe in leading by example. Yeah. Uh, don't ask people to do you something you're not willing to do stuff. yourself. Yeah. Uh, very simple, um, but it's it, it's powerful. So as, as we've gone down that journey, we've kept readdressing. And once we hit problems, you've got to solve them. I get so frustrated with people trying to sweep problems under, yeah. under the carpet. You're better off just facing up to it, not look to blame people. Yeah, own, own the problem to a certain Own level, the yeah. problem. Yeah, at the end of the day, yeah. you know, somebody may have not done quite the right thing, but I am the boss. I am the person at the top. Ultimately, it's my responsibility. You, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's not run around trying to find out who to blame or who to sack or whatever. Yeah. Let's fix the problem. Yeah. And, uh, and again, that's something I learned, I suppose, in construction. And it's the way I've approached it. NOCN, you know, let's deal with the problems when they're in front of us. Let's yeah. not duck them. Mm -hmm. uh, let's handle them. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's moved us forward. Mm -hmm. Even in COVID, we, although our turnover plateaued during COVID uh, for, for a year, we've kept growing. Okay. Um, so uh, we're, we're probably about 18, 19 million now. And when I came, we were 2.3 million. Wow. So, in, so you're in, talking about you know, 10, 12, 10 million, yeah, yeah, massive growth. 12 10, years, 10, it's, yeah. it's, it's massive. Massive. And the first three years, we had massive challenges. We lost a third of our income every year in the first three years I was here. <laughs> so every year we had to replace a third of our income. Just, just dropping off. Yeah. Um, wow. So it's, so it's, it's facing those it's challenges. Having a good strategy, yes. Knowing it's the, yeah. good planning, good and strategy, implementation looking forward it. and good implementation. Yeah. Yeah. Graham, in terms of the senior leadership team, obviously they've been with you on the journey as well. And, yeah, and how, how have you crafted that team? Because a lot of it's about that top-level teamwork as well and, we, and how you work together. We've done a lot of, in about three years, obviously we've had chops and changes. Yeah. You know, people have come, people have left, and yeah. all, all of that. It happens, uh, yeah, it happens. Um, we've now got a very stable team. We've driven the team through a senior development program about two or three years. We've been okay. doing that. So, so training... For, for, the, yeah, for the team, a joint chain training, yes. Yeah, be present for some. So you're you're part, uh, of, part some, of the part team of, for some yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Other occasions, that's not been seen to. We brought yeah. in external management trainers. Yeah. Um, so we've done a lot of development of the senior team, but we've also done development. We call it aspiring managers. Okay, uh, for is that the middle, below, middle, yeah, middle, yeah, middle, yeah, middle, middle, yeah. middle rank. We've been doing that for two a couple of years now. Uh, starting another program this year. So we, we do train. Uh, we've got people on apprenticeships. So these uh, are bespoke sort of training programs that you developed in-house? Yeah, for, for we bring somebody or you in. Bring in, bring it, in it's people. been a mixture. Sometimes it's in-house, particularly regulatory matters. Yeah. Um, you know, we know what we're doing in terms of regulation for Ofcom or, or yeah. IFATE or whatever it is. Yeah. So the people that know about that will train other people other in, in the organization and give everybody gets regulatory training as part of their induction into the company so they understand where we are. And we, do, we just keep developing and tweaking that, but it's a mixture of bringing people in to train or training ourselves. It, it, it's crucial, yes? Tra training is crucial. It's lifelong, lifelong isn't it? Lifelong education, lifelong skills. Yeah. We live, I can't remember a period in which I think there is so much change. 
You can hear the second part of Saf and Graham's conversation next week on Canny Conversations. If you're new to the podcast, let me tell you, there are already 60 other episodes out there and you can listen to all the past episodes by searching for Canny Conversations on your preferred podcast platform or go to 1386 audio forward slash have a listen. We would also like you to review, subscribe or follow the podcast and please tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you'd like to know more, then go to cannyconversationspodcast.co.uk or go to SAF's website, that's safraz.co.uk. Safraz has also written a series of easy to follow business books, Canny Bites, and these are available from cannybites.co.uk forward slash buy the book. Next week, we'll hear the second part of SAF's conversation with Graham Hasting Evans, CEO of the NOCN Group. They'll be talking about how the NOCN Group has grown and where it'll be going in the future. So until then, have a good week and goodbye. This is a 1386 audio production. 